It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Smith rifles that one to Mims. And that's a foot race. He's going to win. Touchdown, Baylor. Denzel Mims with another monster score of 70 yards. Five straight games, Anthony, where he's got a touchdown catch of over 20. That's deflected. And picked up Mosey. He'll take it in. It's a pick six. Bell into the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder, 85 yards. There was contact with the quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff, you know and what? it's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh, my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And with the draft being over now, it's time to take an in-depth look at what the Jets got in this draft class. And we're going to talk to so many people. But one person that was at the top of my list of people I wanted to talk to was Jim Coburn, the host of the Common Man Football Show on YouTube and the publisher of the only data and analytics draft guide that there is out there. The reason is because he provides a different perspective than anybody else because he's going to give us something that's pure data driven. So, Jim, thanks so much for coming back onto the show, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on. So let's go through all the prospects, and you can tell us what the data says about everybody that the Jets drafted. We'll start with the number 11 pick, Mekhi Becton. I know that we talked before the draft, and you seem to say that the data was strong on him. Can you elaborate a little bit? Uh, sure. Well, I mean, first off, uh, with Becton, you know, he had a 99.76 uh, uh, speed score for his size. Really, you know, he's huge. <laughs> you know, like he's, he's gigantic, and... Uh, when you look at the kind of comparisons for him, uh, he looks a lot like Jonathan Ogden, uh, you know, the, you know, Hall of Famer uh, type, uh, very similar size between the two. You know, Ogden was about 345 pounds, about six foot eight. Um, of course, uh, Beckton is, you know, smaller than him. He's, he's uh, which is funny to say because Ogden was huge, but, uh, you know, he's, uh, you know, he has about 20 plus pounds on him, but he's a really great athlete for his size. Um, and when you talk to just people on Twitter, uh, and I don't say all people on Twitter, but you know, guys like Duke, uh, Duke Miniweather, you know, uh, in terms of uh, offensive line talent, he's really loved his uh, pass protection ability. And I think that when you look at what the jets are trying to do, um, it, it really helps you out from that kind of perspective. But yeah, Beckton in terms of everything based on data, I mean, you're looking at somebody who has hall of fame potential, to just starter potential, and uh, when you talk about drafting in the first round, you don't want to miss that pick. <laughs> you know, you don't want to mess that pick up. Um, you're supposed to come out of that uh, that dra- that round with a starter, um, and I definitely think Beckton kind of fits that bill uh, in terms of him. Just out of curiosity, because Tristan Wirfs went two picks later, how did he compare data wise to Tristan Wirfs? Do you think that the Jets made the right move based on what the data says? Well, I would say with Worth, uh, he has more athletic data on paper. Um, so uh, if you just kind of, like, in terms of this, like, Worth was by far the most athletic offensive lineman in this draft class, uh, you know, 90-plus percentile in terms of every single data point that you're talking about in terms of his profile. Uh, you know, he had 99.9 in terms of explosiveness, 99.6 in terms of speed, and 95.49 in terms of flexibility for his size. The – 
when it comes to Becton, he only did the 40. You know, there's no vertical broad jump information. There's no short shoulder three cone information. Um, a lot of that is just because that's what guys usually do. They go to the combine, they just run the 40, and then they do those drills at the pro day. Well, because of the whole COVID-19, pro days are out of the, you know, they're that, you know, if, if these guys could have predicted that, they probably would have done it at the combine. But because of that, you don't have a full athletic profile. But I would say the biggest difference between the two is Becton has more size and length. You know, Becton is, again, he's, he's someone who's about, you know, six foot seven, 364 pounds with almost 36 inch arm length, worth to six five, three twenty with 34 inch arm length. And um, there is something to be said about the size factor. Again, it, it's kind of like the difference between Trent Williams and Jonathan Ogden. Ogden is just this massive, incredibly athletic, like he's just a, you know, you know, people talk about mismatches, right? Like he's just a mismatch against pretty much everybody he goes up against because of just his size. Like it's just a giant, you know, thing, you know what I'm saying? That you're putting <laughs> on the left side. Uh, Worst is definitely big. I mean, I'm not denying that, but he's more closer to like the average size for a, you know, offensive lineman. So I would say you can't really go wrong with either pick. Uh, you know, they're both young, athletic offensive linemen, and Becton is just that he has that size factor, that just gigantic, humongous, you know, this is not something you see every day type size. And I think that that's kind of why I think the Jets went with him versus Worth. Let's talk about the Jets' second round pick, Denzel Mims, a wide receiver out of Baylor. We know that he tested well at the combine, a sub 4440, and he's got height, obviously, at well over six feet tall. So talk to me a little bit about what the data says in terms of Denzel Mims. Yeah, I would say in terms of Mims, uh, he has decent production at Baylor. Um, some of the question marks that people have about him is that he did have a kind of a down year in 2019, you know, 2018 was his better season in terms of production. Um, and there is some question marks in terms of that did test like a really great athlete. Of course, you know, the guy who is about 86.50 in terms of explosiveness, 85.17 in terms of speed and 77.54 in terms of flexibility for his size, very similar to, uh, I know this might be kind of an old name, but Chris Chambers. I don't know mm-hmm. if you remember him, but he was a Chargers uh, wide receiver uh, a little bit a while ago. But um, but again, very athletic player, um, tall, kind of fits the sort of jet kind of way, I guess. Uh, you know, in terms of the wide receivers that they tend to go for, they tend to go for kind of speedster types. Uh, in terms of like Quincy Anunwa, for example. Um, so this pick, in many ways, if Anunwa, and again, I don't know the total situation with him, but if the Jets decide to move on from Anunma for whatever reason, um, Mims would definitely be able to kind of fill that spot. So I kind of see this pick as sort of a light fire under him kind of kind of pick. Um, and if he doesn't really work out, you go with Mims, who has very similar athleticism traits, but was actually a little bit more productive than Anunma in college. Um, I think Mims definitely has a good chance to be a long-term starter. Uh, he didn't really hit Hall of Fame potential in terms of his data, but he definitely looks like at least someone who can be a you know a starter for you. How does he compare to some of the wide receivers that went a little bit before him and a little bit after him in terms of the data? Well, in terms of just the data, he, his production is pretty on par with the other wide receivers in this draft class. Um, I, you know, I've been talking to, uh, I, I've been kind of talking on Twitter uh, a couple with a couple different people about this draft class because a lot of people say this is like a historic wide receiver draft class. And again, I'm not trying to knock the wide receivers in this class by any stretch. I mean, I do think there's going to be a lot of, you know, 
long-term starters out of this class, but Mims is athletic, and most of the wide receivers in this class are not athletic. I mean, just for example, C.D. Lamb uh, tested. He had a 43.04 explosion score and a 42.03 speed score for his size. Mims is 80 percentile in both of those areas. Um, and in terms of production, both played in uh, you know the Big 12 conference, and Mims was more productive than Lamb. Um, in terms of just on data. So it's um, it, it's an interesting class because, uh, you know, there's not a ton of, like, I, I, the way I would explain it is there's not a Julio Jones type. You know, there's not a Calvin Johnson, Andre Johnson type, you know, that uber athlete plus really productive guy. There's none of the guys in this wide receiver class really fit the bill in terms of that. But it definitely has a lot of good starters. Um, but I would say in terms of how Mims compares to the class, he's, in the same boat as guys like Lamb and Jerry Judy and Justin Jefferson and, you know, even Chase Claypool, KJ Hamler, like he's in that same level of production as those guys. It's just, he had that down year in 2019 um, when those other guys kind of hit their peak. I would say Mims, if Mims had came out in 20, uh, you know, if, if Mims had come out in the 2019 NFL draft class, I think he would have gotten a little bit more hype than, than this year, just because he had kind of a down year last year. Just because you may not be familiar with Chris Chambers, who Jim mentioned before, I want to bring him up since he used him as a comparison data-wise for Denzel Mims. He had a pretty solid career in the NFL, played for a decade. Most of that was with Miami, although he did end up in San Diego at the end of his career, like Jim said. Made the Pro Bowl in 2005 that season. He had a really nice year, catching 11 touchdown passes, 82 catches for 1,118 yards. That was his only 1,000-yard season, but he was a very productive receiver for the Dolphins. Never quite a number one, but a pretty solid number two. So I suppose if Denzel Mims gets to that level, that's not a bad pick in the second round, although obviously we are hoping for more, fingers crossed. Let's move on to the third round now, Jim. Ashton Davis is somebody that I have to imagine tested very well data-wise because he has such strong athletic numbers, all Pac-12 twice in both track and football. Talk to me a little bit about him. Well, this is where uh, I don't want to say the Jets got drunk in the class, but um, <laughs> but, this is, but this is where you have to look at the body of evidence, um, as I like to say, or the uh, I'm trying to find the best way to explain it. But this is where you have to look at the, the data collectively. Um, Ashton Davis is definitely a, a great athlete uh, by any stretch of the imagination, but his production is kind of the issue that he runs into. You know, he was a guy who only had a 24.54 solo tackle uh, production score, um, 62.30 in terms of interception production, and 58.86 in terms of pass collection da data. And while the interception pass collection data is above average, what, when you're looking for a Pro Bowl, safety or all pro safety even you're looking for that number to be in the 80 area you're looking for that number to be in the uh, 90 percentile area um, and even the solo tackle number you're looking for that to be in the 70 area the 60 area in terms of his data so Davis is, is one of those picks where he does have a lot of fanfare because of the whole the the athlete kind of stuff and he definitely is really athletic uh, but he just is not very productive at that position. Um, and he's also a little bit older, too. You know, he had about a 10.25 age score. Um, age is more in indicative of Hall of Fame potential than anything else. Um, it's not really – I know a lot of people harp on age, but realistically age just kind of speaks to uh, your ability to be like a, 
a Hall of Famer type, and not everybody's going to be that. But I would say Davis, in terms of just his production data, it's very concerning with him. Um, and there's really not a, a, a potential long-term starter here. Um, based, when I looked at just the, the data collectively on him, and I looked at where he was drafted, um, because this year in particular, the way I graded guys, I looked at one, what the data says about them in terms of potential, and then the draft status, you know, where they were drafted and how they compared to other players that similar data. And I didn't find any long-term starters with Davis. And this is all the way back to 1998 in terms of the draft status data. So um, that might be kind of a dud, unfortunately, um, you know, in terms of him, unfortunately. Who does he profile close to just so we get an idea? Um, yeah, in terms of who he profiles close to best kind of compared to him would probably be uh, Daniel uh, Bullock's out of Nebraska or uh, another, yeah, maybe another production guy. I mean, th- these are names that most people probably don't know. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, Daniel Bullock from Nebraska would probably be the, the best sort of guy or a Desmond Southward from Wisconsin. I know uh, he's another guy that I think there was a lot of big fans of him um, when he came out. Corey Bird from Virginia Tech is another guy kind of like that. Um, but, yeah, those, those are the kind of guys it kind of looks like. Well, let's hope that dad is wrong on that one, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can always do that. You know, if you don't like it, you could just kind of, you know, uh, say analytics is terrible and you don't know what you're talking about. So just go with that one. That's like yeah. Michael Nanny and I always joke. PFF is terrible unless they have a stat that makes a player on the Jets look good. Then PFF's the greatest thing ever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So let's move ahead in the third round now to pick number 79. The Jets grab Jabari Zaniga, the defensive end slash outside linebacker from Florida. Wasn't thrilled with that pick, although warming up to it a little bit just based on his athleticism and the way that he did flash in 2018. What does the data say about him? Well, this is another pick that is a bit, again, concerning. Like I said, I, I feel like the Jets, they started out well, and then things got a little weird. Mm-hmm. Um, with, I mean, the positives, of course, I mean, I guess just start with the positives. I mean, Zuniga is definitely really athletic. You know, 90-plus percentile in terms of explosion testing, 90-plus percentile in terms of speed testing. You know, all those areas are things that I think are really positive for him. But when you look at his production, and again, uh, it, it's a collective thing on paper. You know, it's not just athleticism. You have to look at every single factor. And when you look at his production, you're looking at a guy that was 12.19 in terms of solo tackle production, 18.72 in terms of sack production, and 25.60 in terms of tackle for loss production. Um, that is just it's, – it's just way too low. Uh, in terms of what you're looking for in that type of guy. And I would say probably a, a good example of uh, a guy who tested kind of similar to him uh, would probably like Isaac Hilton from Hampton. I know that's kind of an old, old. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't say that old, like 2011, but, um, you know, but that kind of guy. It, just because of the production, Alex Carrington, I don't know if you remember him from Arkansas State, mm-hmm. is another guy who kind of tested similar from a production standpoint. Um but there's just not – I mean, the, the athleticism is there. Um, you know, that is there. But the production isn't. And whenever that's the case, you're looking at a guy who's more likely not going to make it. Um, there are definitely some athletic outliers out there. Most of the time, they are at least above average productive or average productive. And with, with, Zunaga, with, you know, with Zunaga, he, he wasn't productive at all, you know, <laughs> at, at his career in Florida. 
And that just makes you think, like, if a guy's not going to be productive at a college program, how is he going to be productive in the NFL? You know, that that's the that's the question I usually ask people when that happens. His teammate at Florida, LaMichael Pirine, was the Jets' next pick at number 120. And he was productive at Florida, but the athleticism is not quite there. So I was curious about this one. What does the data tell you about him? Well, again, if you – I hate to say box score scouting, but, I mean, again, if you, if you just look at his uh, – here's, here's the best way to put it. If you just look at his production data, like you just look at, okay, he got 1,000 yards, you go, okay, he was productive. If you actually look at his market share, how much of the offense he made up, P. Ryan was not – as productive um he was about 30.01 in terms of his market share production um compared to every single running back since 1969 um he had in terms of athleticism he had a 63.02 explosion score 33.24 speed score and a 44.28 uh dynamic speed score or flexibility score basically it's balance more than anything else you know when people talk about great balance in a running back those guys usually test well in terms of that score so i would i would say p ryan in terms of athleticism he tested like Josh Jacobs, you know, uh, who, of course, is on the Las Vegas Raiders uh, in terms of like a more recent example. But Josh Jacobs, without the production mm-hmm. of even him, because he definitely was kind of below average productive as well um, in terms of just market share data. Again, I know this is a concept that some people can't get their head wrapped around as well because it's kind of different. But um, P. Ryan is not productive, not super athletic. I think he does have the athleticism of a of a spot starter i guess or backup guy but i don't think he's somebody who's going to be challenging living on bell i guess for for touches i think that was what a lot of jets fans came away from the pick thinking that p ryan is somebody that'll be a reliable back but not anybody that's going to be cracking the starting lineup more of a back by committee type of guy big questions as to whether or not that's the type of player that should have been picked at 120 even if he is a fit for the inside zone runs that the Jets like to employ. Let's talk about their next fourth round pick and this one had a lot of people scratching their heads because of the fact that 22-year-old Sam Darnold is a starting quarterback. That of course is Captain Morgan, James Morgan the quarterback from Florida International. What did the data have to say about good old Captain Morgan? Well, again, we're talking about uh, drinking, right? Um, <laughs> I guess to Captain Morgan. Uh, James Morgan, in terms of his data, uh, he had a 30.26 career uh, production score. That's not getting it done in terms of, like, again, for a career. Like, that's what he averaged in terms of his career. Um, like, that's not a good score at any program. Um, like, at Alabama, that wouldn't be very good. At LSU, it would not be great. But he didn't play at Alabama. He didn't play at LSU. He played at, you know, Florida, uh, not even Florida, but, you know, a lesser Florida team. Um, so I would say it definitely is a head scratcher. Um, the other sort of thing that concerns me a bit is that most quarterbacks, you know, a lot of times when the fourth round comes around, people go quarterback is a value pick, right? We'll coach him up, develop him, and then trade him for a bunch of picks. Since 2006, that has not been the case. Only about 16% of every quarterback taken in round four has gone on to become a long-term starter. And then when you go into round five, round six, round seven, 0%. Like the NFL used to be about developing quarterbacks. It's not that anymore. You either get it or you don't. If you don't get it, we're going to kick you. We're going to boot you out. So 
that's my other sort of concern. I feel like this is a pick that they could have went a different way and got somebody that could have contributed. But James Morgan, th- th- there's no I – don't, I don't see the argument for him in terms of like you, you already know that the NFL is not great at developing quarterbacks, and at least the Jets. You know what I'm saying? Like if it was Andy Reid or like if he was on the Patriots or something like that um, or even like the, the 49ers team – uh, in, in terms of like Kyle Shanahan, if he's on that type of team, I can see them developing a quarterback. But come on, guys, you're the Jets, okay? Um, <laughs> I'm not trying to be rude, but you're not known for developing quarterbacks. You know, you don't have that pedigree. So it's definitely a head-scratcher pick because he's not really going to develop anything into anything really significant based on his production data. And you're really not going to get a lot of value trading him either because most quarterbacks taken in that round and below, nothing really comes out of it. So I would just say that that's that's one of the big head scratcher picks for me, especially. I guess and Jets fans, especially too, you know, because I felt like he could have went in another way with that pick. If we're trying to be optimistic, Jim, are there any even reasonably productive quarterbacks in the NFL that profile anywhere similarly to him? Um, I mean, as of right now, the only quarterback with as low of a score like that is Josh Allen. And Josh Allen has the benefit of being a first-round pick uh, because typically teams don't cut ties on first-round picks that much. You know, they tend to stick it out until they have to admit that they were wrong. Um, I know there's some Josh Allen fans out there. Um, Based on data, he really hasn't done a whole lot in terms of quarterback efficiency. He's been kind of bottoms in the league in terms of a lot of those metrics, in terms of just efficiency, yards per attempt, all that kind of stuff. So, uh, but yeah, I'm not trying to rag on Josh Allen. You know, I know this is a jet show. So if you want me to continue, I can, but uh, that would really be the only starting quarterback right now in the NFL to have that low of a production score. And again, he has the benefit of being a first round pick, but James Morgan, he's not a first round pick. You know, the politics is not going to help him. So he has to get it with talent alone. And I just don't think there's enough there to really say he'll, he'll, he'll become anything unless he gets developed. And again, the NFL is not about developing quarterbacks anymore, unfortunately. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint 
unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Jim, you've been on this show many times, so you should know that all dunking on Josh Allen is very welcome on this show. So anytime you want to say something negative or make a joke about Josh Allen, you're more than welcome to. Let's go to the fourth round pick that was the last one for the Jets on day number three. And that, of course, is Cameron Clark, the tackle slash guard out of UNC Charlotte. What does the data say about him? Well, yeah, again, this is another pick where when I, when you look at the data uh, in terms of him, not a lot of positives. I mean, I, I hate to say that because I, I really do like to see teams do well uh, in the draft, but um, Cameron Clark just did not – he was below average in terms of explosion testing, uh, below average in terms of speed testing, uh, in terms of both those, those metrics. Um, there are definitely some starting tackles. Uh, or offensive linemen that have below average athleticism. There, there's a handful of those guys. You know, probably the best example of that would be like Mitchell Schwartz, uh, you know, the, the Chiefs tackle, uh, for example. Uh, you know, guys that kind of get by and great technique and great, um, you know, football IQ. Um, so that would be the best I could say for Cameron Clark is if he has that football IQ, if he has great technique, you know, and those other sort of things, you have the potential for a starting tackle with him. But most of the time, guys that have below average athleticism, like Cameron Clark, they are usually backups, um, and they usually are concerning against certain edge rushers. So if you don't have good technique and you go up against certain edge rushers that had just have great speed and great explosion, um, you're going to be a turnstile all day. And that's the biggest kind of concern for a guy like Cameron Clark is if he doesn't have that technique, if he doesn't have uh, that football IQ, he could be a tur- turnstile-type backup, and that's not the best pick. If you're, you know, if you're just asking me in terms of that round. Well, let's hope that he has that football IQ that you're talking about, Jim. Fingers crossed. As we move now to the fifth round and a player that many believe to be one of the biggest steals in the entire draft at number 158. And that, of course, is Bryce Hall, the cornerback from Virginia. What does the data tell you there? Uh, well, Bryce Hall, you know, he's a great, uh, great production data with him uh he was 88.36 in terms of solo tackle data 96.96 in terms of uh pass deflection data uh there's not a lot of testing with him in terms of like uh the 40 yard dash and the vertical broad jump short short three cone there's really not a lot to say about him athletically but he does have the prototypical size you're looking for at 61202 he does have at least above average arm length you know that 32 inch arm length which is what a lot of uh, people look for at the cornerback position. We're talking about, like, really great cornerbacks. You know, Richard Sherman, Darrell Rivas, uh, Rich, uh, Nandi Asamoah, for example, just kind of name a few. 
Uh, most of the really great quarterbacks have had that 32-inch arm length. So from a size perspective and a physical characteristics perspective, he has all that, and he also has it all from a production standpoint. So I would say he definitely is a good pick uh, because even if he is a average athlete, uh, you know, just assuming he's average in terms of his athleticism, which may not be the case, but again, we just don't know. But even if he was average, you're looking at a guy that definitely has a good shot at being a long-term starter. Um, so I would say at the very least, you're looking at a long-term starter. And if he was a really great athlete, you're looking at even more than that. So I definitely say that that was a better pick in terms of, uh, you know, getting a guy like that in, in the fifth round. In the sixth round, the New York Jets selected Braden Mann, the punter out of Texas A&M with the 191st pick. I know you don't do specific numbers in terms of punting analytics, but I do know that you understand the data and the trends in terms of picking a punter in that spot. What does the data say about that? Yeah, in in terms of taking punters in the sixth round, there's been about a 62% success rate, meaning out of all the punters that were drafted in the sixth round uh, since 1998, uh, those guys typically became long-term starters. Um, so I know people are going to rag on the pick saying, don't take a punter, don't take a kicker, you know, don't draft them. Um, uh, what's the value to these guys, I guess, also is another sort of thing that people always say, which is something I do want to get into a little bit more uh, in the future. But if you're just looking at it from the perspective of a gambling perspective, if you draft a punter in the sixth round, you have a good chance of at least that guy becoming a starter. So I would say in terms of the Jets draft, And I know it's crazy to say, but the two players with the best statistical chance of becoming, you know, a starter at the very least is Beckton at one and then Braden Mann. So that's the best you can say, which is not bad. I mean, you know, it's usually in the sixth round, you miss on those picks. You know, most of the time, if you draft any position in the sixth round, um, you're looking at a very low chance, like a 20% chance of hitting on those picks usually on average. So, to, to have a guy that you draft that has a 62% chance, that definitely is a better bet uh, in terms of that round. Jim, one last pick the Jets had was number 211 in the sixth round, the Chiefs pick, but they ended up sending that to the Indianapolis Colts in exchange for Quincy Wilson, the cornerback who was a second-round pick out of Florida back in 2017. So I thought it would be fun to take a look back at your data and see what it said in terms of Wilson's potential to be a long-term starter at the NFL level. Obviously, we know that he's been in the league for three years now, so there's that to work off of, but I'm still curious what the data initially said. What do you got? Um, well, in terms of him as an athlete, he definitely had good athleticism traits. Um, he was someone who had above average uh, speed score, and I think the biggest thing for him was that he had a 90 percentile uh, balance or flexibility score. Um, and, and, again, balance is probably a big sort of indicator of, of, of a lot of different uh, players just in terms of, uh, you know, if you're talking about any other position. You know, you really want them to have good agility scores. And he had really great – I mean, you know, he had a 6.863 tone. Um, just for example. But based on the data that I did, the biggest question mark with him was his production. You know, he was someone who had a 22.81 um, solo tackle production score coming out of Florida, which is really below average. Um, I know a lot of people don't talk about uh, cornerback solo tackle data because uh, they really don't care about it um, for whatever reason. They care about kind of pass deflection data. But that, that data is really uh, – it's really indicative of their ability to, to make plays outside of just their, 
their area. You know, I do understand the whole shutdown corner mentality, you know, stay on your side and, and cover everybody. But when you have really low solo tackle data, it does show that you're someone who may not have the, the best ability to kind of make plays outside of your area. You know, I don't, I don't really want to say line of scrimmage, of course, but, you know, just in terms of the best cornerbacks typically are guys that make plays everywhere. You know, they make plays against their man. They make plays in the middle of the field. Sometimes they even make plays on the other side of the field, you know, <laughs> um, which are which are big things. You know, it's big things in winning games when you have a guy that's able to go from his side of the field to the other side of the field to make a play. Um, so I would say in terms of just his data coming out, uh, his biggest issue was just he had below average production data, good athleticism data, again, you know, kind of a really great uh, flexibility testing and very young. Um, but based on testing, he just didn't really look like a long-term starting uh, long-term starting cornerback, um, unfortunately. Who did he profile closely to, Jim? Yeah, in terms of players he profiled close, uh, he, he definitely was very close to Brandon Jones from uh, Rutgers. Uh, there's a, let me try to see. I mean, there was a couple different, but Nate Brooks from North Texas, uh, Tion Wright from Baylor. Not a lot of names, <laughs> I guess <laughs> I should say. Not a lot of guys you might be familiar with. Probably the most successful based on this production data would probably be like Mike Jenkins from South Florida. Uh, I, I think some people might be familiar with that name, possibly. Uh, you know, a guy that was a starter for a decent amount of his career. But again, there's not a lot of success, I should say, uh, in terms of, uh, in terms of that kind of area of uh, production. So that's the only real concern with Quincy Wilson. So he definitely has the athleticism of start of a starting cornerback. He definitely is very young. Um, but at the same time, he just doesn't have that production indicative of a really high quality cornerback, let alone a starting uh, cornerback. Well, Jim, it sounds like, despite the fact that a lot of people gave the Jets accolades for the draft, the data doesn't love it so much. So we're going to have to sit here and keep our fingers crossed that the data is wrong this time. But I always love talking to you because I think your perspective is always different and there's always so much to learn about football in so many different ways. It's multifaceted and the data is always worth looking at. So thank you so much for coming on. As always, really appreciate it. For those who want to check out your work, why don't you go ahead and tell them where they can do that? Uh, sure. You can go to uh, my Patreon at patreon.com slash Coburn. Uh, that is where I have the 2020 NFL Draft Analytics Guide. So if you become a Patreon subscriber for $5 a month, you can get that guide. And I'm going to be posting a lot of data related to depth charts and kind of, you know, getting ready for the season to start. So uh, getting into everything I talk about when it comes to the draft, but looking at it from a team perspective, you know, what are the weaknesses on your team uh, in terms of uh, athleticism at, at offensive line? Uh, wide receiver, you know, et cetera, defense, the defensive side of the field. So I'm going to be getting into a lot of stuff on there. You can also follow me on Twitter at Geometrics. Uh, so that's um, I'm usually on there the most uh, in terms of interacting with people and talking to people on there. Um, but, yeah, those two, those two places. And, of course, you can also go to the Common Man Football YouTube channel uh, where I will have a couple videos coming out pretty soon um, about just kind of general draft grades and kind of getting ready for the, uh, for the season this year. So. Go ahead and follow Jim on Twitter at Jim Metrics. Subscribe to his YouTube channel, Common Man Football, and become a patron. 
if you're into the data, which you should be, because it'll make you a smarter football fan. So go ahead and check Jim out in all those areas. If you haven't given us a five-star review on iTunes yet, if you could do that for us, greatly appreciate it. It's a great way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. It doesn't cost you any money. It doesn't take you much time, but it goes a long way to help us out. So if you could do that for us, we'd be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.